Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hawkcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined as always by publisher Adam Jacoby and managing editor Ross Binder. Before we get started, make sure that you hit that like button, drop a comment, let us know what you're thinking, because you've read the title. You've read the title. What do you think of this hire? Tim Lester headed to Iowa as the Hawkeyes offensive coordinator. And now that we're started, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. That'll uh, make sure you don't miss a single episode here of Hawkcast from us. Now, typically what we do to start Hawkcast is I start with Adam. But Ross, you got our article together here for the breaking news. Tim Lester hired, I believe it was first reported by Football Scoop. A few of the other reports out there as well. Ross, you put it together. Can you just kind of lay out what the Hawks are getting here in in Tim Lester, former Western Michigan head coach, among with a few other stops? Yeah, I mean he he's a Midwest guy through and through. Uh, he's he was a star play. He came up through uh, Illinois prep uh, high school. Was a star quarterback. Um, was gonna head to a good college. It sounded like till he tore up his his knee or his leg. Uh, in his senior year, ended up at Western Michigan, had an enormously productive career there, broke a bunch of passing records, uh, threw a ton of yards, ton of touchdowns. Um, and Western Michigan has been kind of the focal point of his both playing and coaching career. Um, he started off coaching in some small schools like D2, D3, uh, wound up at Western as a, uh, I think he started as a position coach. Um, quarterbacks coach briefly, yeah, QB coach, yep, yep, quarterback coach was there briefly. Um, and then he started uh, head coaching, um, with uh, Elmhurst, very small school, uh, wound up at Syracuse, um, first as a quarterback coach, uh, then he took over as uh, offensive coordinator for a year and a half, he took over midway through one season and then uh, was the coordinator for the next season. Uh, the whole staff got fired at the end of that season. So not great. <laughs> His offense there wasn't great. Um, the next season he's, he's back in the, he's in the big 10 with his only previous big 10 experience. He was a quarterback coach uh, for Purdue. Um, David blow Blau was the quarterback. Then uh, he had a pretty good year aside from the 21 interceptions he threw, which, is a number that I think would probably give Kirk Ferentz a severe cardiac event. Um, <laughs> he was pretty good, it, other than this one awful stat. <laughs> I mean, the, the 3,500 passing yards are good. The 25 yeah. uh, touchdowns are good. The 21 interceptions are appalling. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's it's about five or six more than, from what I could tell, any other quarterback uh, that season. So it was really kind of staggering uh anyway after purdue one year there then he takes over at western uh this time as the head coach and he was there for five years uh through 2022 um mostly was solid but not great there they could never really break through uh never won their division never played for the mac uh, championship um but were frequently like the second best team in the division a lot of seven and five um you know, minor bowl game appearances. And then the bottom drops out in 2022. Um, 
the offense was abysmal. Um, the rest of the team struggled as well. And uh, he ends up getting fired. And last season he was uh, with the Packers. Um, again, another Western Michigan tie there. He and Packers head coach uh, Matt LaFleur were teammates at Western Michigan back in the late 90s. So, again, this all just comes back to Western again and again and again. Uh, and so he's an analyst on LaFleur's staff last season. And uh, now, per reports, he will be the new offensive coordinator in Iowa City, uh, you know, hopefully starting very soon and uh, obviously next fall. And what well, there was going to say, so he was with the Packers this last year as well um, as a senior analyst. Do we know? It's actually, he was actually a defensive analyst, which is interesting, oh. but apparently his job was to help the defense scout the opposing team's offenses and figure out, Hey, what do we need to do to slow them down? Essentially. So okay. he was not, seem... not, not working with Jordan love though. And, uh, and that side of the ball, it sounds like. It does seem notable to me that we're talking about another guy who is a, uh, an analyst for the green Bay Packers, which is because Initially, I sort of wondered, why was Lester on Iowa's radar to begin with? Because we're talking about a guy who, with all of Iowa's dalliances against Western Michigan and Syracuse over the years in the Kirk Ferentz era, it was really that one year with Purdue that was the only year that Kirk Ferentz ever coached against him, Lester. And we know how much familiarity means and, and matters when he's looking for uh, new uh, players or excuse me new coaches and you look at that game in 2016 and Iowa won 49 to 35 and obviously the QB's coach is not going to be responsible for the fact that Purdue couldn't stop Iowa's offense but that was a game where David Blau uh Mr. Blau that's his name that Let's name again is Mr. The, Blau can we pause there for a second Adam and just soak in what you said which is couldn't stop Iowa's offense like yeah that, that was those were real words. Those were real words that you said, and that were accurate in that game. The Iowa offense was legitimately on a heater in that game. Yeah. So yeah, forty-nine points while C.J. Beathard <laughs> threw for hundred forty yards. Yeah, that that was how Iowa got there. Now, some of that was also the fact that you know Des King took a pick six back in the fourth quarter, and it's also most one of, of David Lau's twenty-one interceptions. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it was also a game that Iowa was up 42 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. Most of the scoring that Blau did was in garbage time and in the last uh, nine minutes of the game when it was completely out of hand at that point. Oh, now I remember this game. That was a weird one. So the fact that Blau was able to throw for 458 yards and five touchdowns on Iowa's offense and, and, 2016, Desmond defense. King, that was, or yeah, on Iowa's defense. And that was already Iowa locked in as a premier defensive unit under Phil Parker. Right? There, there, that wasn't really a transitional year at that point. So that is productivity that matters. But again, three of those five touchdowns came when the game was completely out of reach. You know, it was probably against second and third stringers for a decent amount of those drives, uh, although Des King was on the field for that pick six. And so it's it's that part was a little bit surprising that 
it was just that one game that they coached against each other. And I, I would like to know a little bit more about, you know, was, was Joe Philbin sort of part of the process that got Tim Lester in front of Kirk Ferentz, you know, as a fellow Packers guy. So we'll see. The, the we'll get to positives here in a moment. Now, Ross, I, I think the most glaring part of his resume is that OC time at Syracuse, glaring in a negative way. And then that final year at Western Michigan. What did in delving into more of the why here, could you tell why the offenses were so bad in those separate years? I know, I think I read that he went through 10 different quarterbacks when he was an OC at Syracuse, something crazy. Yeah, they had a lot of injuries uh, on offense, especially at quarterback at Syracuse. So I'm sure that was uh, a major factor. Um, I don't know if you've heard Elliot, but injuries at quarterback can really, you know, break an <laughs> offense. Just ask Deacon. Um, yeah. yeah. Just ask it's her. Part friends. of the sport, except when it's a convenient <laughs> excuse. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a big factor. Um, Western, there was a, a big, I think, personnel turnover and a new new coordinator uh, that last season in charge there, 2022. Um so a lot of change that obviously that those teams didn't uh, adapt to very well. Um, the results were 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 very clear, uh, very poor. Um, so yeah, I, I mean it is I would say a, alarming though that his 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 Power Five experience is is very limited. You know, it's just essentially that year and a half as an OC with Syracuse, and then the year at uh, Purdue as a quarterback coach. Everything else has been either in the MAC. I mean, again, all those repeated trips to Western Michigan and back, uh, or even smaller, like D two, D three level. Which, you know, I there's there's good good coaching work being done there, no doubt at those levels. But that's a big jump from that level to uh, to Iowa to the Big Ten. Although I will say, uh, Kirk Ferentz has never shown, you know. Um, that's never bothered him before. You know, Ken O'Keefe was his first offensive coordinator. He came from uh, Allegheny, I believe. Um, so you know, he he's not opposed to the small school guy if that if that fit is right in his eyes. So where I'm looking right now is Twitter. Somebody went through and and put together the yards per game and points per game. <sighs> for Western Michigan while Lester was there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. There were points points where he was the play caller and like slash co-play caller, but there's not a way to exactly delineate when that was the case. That's my understanding. I don't have a clear sense of when exactly he was calling plays and when uh, someone else was calling plays, but he was calling plays at times Okay, for Western as head and, coach. In learning a little bit more about his history, Ironically, Kevin Johns was the offensive coordinator for Western Michigan in the first year, which we'll talk about that soon enough. Uh, Western Michigan in their first year, that was when P.J. Fleck had moved on to Minnesota and taken a bunch of players with him. And so you bring in another offensive guy who can kind of help you figure things out. So in that first year, they averaged 389 yards per game, 34.3 points per game. 2018, it was 436 yards per game, 32 points per game. 
2019, 445 yards per game, 33.1 points per game. 2020, COVID year, you know, a bunch of different weird things going on. 479 yards per game, 41.7 points per game. 2021, 467 yards per game, 32.5 points per game. And then in 2022, the wheels kind of fell off. Uh, 301 yards per game and 19 points per game. And I believe there is a quote. So before I get to what I'm about to say, those five years, pretty productive. 2017 through 2021, pretty productive until you get to 2022. And the asterisk among all of that is the fact that it was the Mac. That's the thing. And a lot of those defenses are not are not that good. And I believe in that particular uh, time frame, they were pretty bad, like 90th to 120th in the country in defense. Um, so that's that's the red flag. So at that level and, and to not win as many games as they probably should have with those numbers. Now you point to the defensive side of the ball, but he is the head coach. He makes those hires. He, he dictates, he's the, you know, the overarching guy. So you can only say so much about Western Michigan defense in those, those years, but those are pretty good numbers. If you put up numbers like that as Iowa's offensive coordinator, you are a God and everything is fixed and the Hawkeyes win the national title. Now I don't see that translating for a variety of reasons, but the the main thing is you can look at that success, you can be excited, but you have to remember the context. The context is very important. Yeah, yeah I know. And if you drill down a little bit, you can see like a lot of their they had big numbers against some of the the really bad Mac defenses, and then uh, they played like Toledo had one of the rare Mac teams that actually has a really solid defense for several many years they struggled against Toledo. So, you know, when, when the defense was a little bit stiffer, that offense was not so free flowing um, and, and scoring points the way it was when they were beaten up on some of those other uh, lesser Mac defenses. So that is definitely some useful context. I think when you're looking at these numbers that there's things to like, but you know, there's also things to, you know, say, well, let's wait and see. The other one, the other major red flag. And, and these are things, you know, if you have seen Twitter, kind of a dumpster fire currently. Uh, and it really was after Lester News started to leak. Um, and, and that's why some of these people are so negative. What we just mentioned being one. The second brought up to uh, brought up to us on the the Iowa.Rivals.com premium board by St. Louis Hawk. Uh, we asked for a few questions. One of his that he dropped is, why would we hire, why would Iowa hire an OC that was said to never change snap count at all? in his last year as offensive coordinator at Syracuse. Now, that's really bad. <laughs> that's really, really bad. We're not playing middle school football here. Um, the the other part of that context that matters is that significant amount of quarterbacks that he was using at that point in time. That was probably a, we just have to make things simple here. So context matters in a variety of ways. That being one of them, still bad that you you don't change that snap count around it. That shouldn't be that difficult to do. That shouldn't be that difficult to implement. Adam, you had something to say there. Yeah, one other thing that gave me a little bit of pause when I was looking at Lester's resume as a head coach at Western Michigan was that there just was not a whole lot of um, continuity in not only the personnel, but the uh, title structure of his offensive coaches, which is a little bit incongruous with the uh, level of 
you know, familiarity and, um, you know, Kirk Ferentz doesn't like to have things change like that year to year uh, like this. But his last year was the first year of an offensive coordinator that in, and, and so there's been a whole lot of, well, what do you expect that, you know, he, he had a, a first year offensive coordinator the year prior to that 2021, he had two first year offensive coordinators, uh, Mike Bath and Eric Evans. And uh, Evans is now the, I believe the running backs coach there, but his title had changed 2020. He had a completely different offensive coordinator and it was Jake Moreland. Who's now coaching in the NFL. Right. So that retention or lack thereof that that flux seems a little bit at odds with how Ference would want to run his staff. Obviously, again, a little bit of a difference between retaining people at a Mac school and retaining people at a this is the destination school, Power Five school. So you work some of that into this expectation and all that, but also you would think that Ferentz would want to see a little bit more year-to-year -year continuity out of somebody who will be coordinating for several position coaches and who will probably have final say or one of the two final says on a wide receivers coach. So would we like to see a little bit more evidence of consistent, you know, personnel leadership from Lester? Yeah, I would think so. I think that is something that requires a, a few more questions at whenever his upcoming press availability is going to be. Because Iowa, as of when we're recording this, it hasn't been officially announced by Iowa. So we're not sure when we're going to be able to get to talk to Lester or Ference or anything about, or, or anybody about this process. But we will want to be asking about why was Western Michigan a little bit up and down and more so than just, well, it's a Mac school, right? Why was the personnel was, situation in that flux? There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of turnover on those staffs. So. A lot. And, and it seems just a little bit incongruous with the parents way of doing things. And if he wants credit for being deliberate for 90 days, on, on finding a guy, you would think that there would be a little bit better alignment than what we see here. And and again, we're, we're, we're trying to read into program ideals and, and all these holistic things. And, and ultimately, that part, the, the turnover is not going to be a determinant in and of itself whether or not he's going to be a good coach at Iowa, right? That's and and similarly, the, the snap count thing, if that were still a persistent thing, we'd be hearing more about it than his last stint at Syracuse, I would like to believe. So some of that probably had something to do with what he was working with. At the same time, there, there should be better results. Fans have been expecting better results for a process that has taken almost three months at this point. And... The deliberation does not seem to have correlated with a better final product. <laughs> yeah. One piece that is really important here, and I, I first heard Lystico say it, it's that Kirk said the thing he cares about most. Somebody asked him about how horrid the offense was last in the country. 
yards per game, points per game. And Kirk responded and he said, I, all I care about is wins per game. Well, your new offensive coordinator went 32 and 27 in his years as a head coach. Your second option won everywhere that he went, more or less. When he had some real influence. And again, we'll get to John's here in a moment. But 32 and 27 isn't a great wins per game statistic there, and that, KF. And that that's a lot better than looking at his experience at the power five schools he was at too. Like the uh the Syracuse win loss record and the Purdue win loss record. Uh that's grim. That's not not good. Well, it's probably because he's thrown the ball around too much. Haven't you heard, Ross? <laughs> you, you yeah. know, I will say that is actually interesting. Looking at, you know, I have, haven't been able to do a deep dive on his, his offense yet, but he ran the ball a lot at Western. They yeah. had some very strong uh, running uh, running games there, uh, which is, I'm sure, one of the things that appealed to, to Ference. Um, but they were not, you know, just the sling it around. There's some nicely balanced offenses. They were, you know, throwing it effectively and running it very effectively. Uh, probably tilting more towards the run, actually. It's, it looked like um, in the final stats. So that was uh, that was an interesting note about his uh, his his tenure there. So while you're referencing that, Ross, first of all, I'm going to have an article coming out either later tonight. Probably tomorrow, just because of the NFL championships going on right now as we speak. Um, about three thoughts about uh, Lester and how he approaches the offensive coordinator position, uh, scheme, etc. A variety of things. And what I am curious about is how that will translate to Iowa and how he'll implement it, and um how much KF is going to have his hands on it. I know that's been a continual conversation we've had over and over and over again about this. You mentioned, did you mention the RPO? I don't know if you mentioned uh, it I, just now. I did not yet. So yeah. RPO seems to be a focal point of the way he ran the offense at Western Michigan. Um, is that going to include the quarterback running the ball? Because you've got two immobile quarterbacks at the top of your depth chart. <laughs> Cade wouldn't be if he didn't have those two torn ACLs, but he does. Does that mean Marco Linez leaps Deacon Hill in the depth chart? Because he should no matter what, really. That's what you hope right. for anyway. If he doesn't, that's really bad. How is he going to develop these quarterbacks? That's that's a huge question of mine going into this. Yeah, the, the development or lack thereof of Iowa's quarterback talent over the last decade or so, really of the Brian Ferentz uh, offensive coordinator slash QB coach era, has been so obvious that it doesn't even bear, you know, uh, repeating or, or going into the details. It's been terrible and it needed to be stripped down to the studs. And does this hire constitute that? And that's an open question. That a big part of stripping that down to the studs, unfortunately, is learning which of these program ideals or values that that Kirk always speaks so obliquely about which of them are conducive to success and which of them are well it's what I'm most familiar with because ultimately you can't just say well if you throw the ball around too much you're not going to win when Washington Washington 
just took Michael Penix Jr. and some really darn talented wide receivers all the way all the way to the championship game. Now, Michigan had a better talent level. And you can you and I I know this argument's coming that well, oh, Michigan no. barely even threw the ball. Michigan ran all over Washington and 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 won. Washington at the very least scored points on that Michigan defense and Iowa didn't. Washington made that game respectable, made it competitive for several quarters, two and a half, almost three quarters. That was a very competitive game. And Iowa was never competitive. It was close. They tried the defense. Oh, bless them. The, the defense played their pads off, but the game was never going Iowa's way because Iowa's offense could do nothing. And the, the quarterback development wasn't there. The schematic understanding of matchups was not there. Finding these one-on-ones and exploiting them, like the whole reason why you call certain, you know, concepts and themes to your offense was never there. If Lester even brings that basic competence and the, we are doing this for this reason and here's why, and here's the end result, Here's what we're creating out of it. That is in and of itself a substantial step up. So fans have asked me privately, should I be upset about this? Well, yes or no, it's better. Is it good enough? We'll see. But it has got to be better. Rossi had something? Yeah, well, I mean, two things I would say. I feel like I think Brian set the bar so low. I mean, it was practically underground. So... Uh, I think any new hire should be able to surpass that. But I'm actually very interested to see what Lester brings to the table as quarterback coach. Um, I think that hasn't been confirmed, but based on his expertise and his experience, I think that's likely uh, that he'll be the quarterback coach slash offensive coordinator at Iowa. And yeah, like you said, I mean, Iowa's essentially gone without a real quarterback coach since Greg Davis was here um, and we've had kind of the shadow quarterback coach with Bud Meyer the last couple seasons, I, the results from that have not been um, exhilarating, let's say. Um, and Lester, I mean, he has a lot of experience personally as a quarterback. He's a lot of experience coaching quarterbacks. I mean, if nothing else, I think the guy understands the quarterback position to a level that we have not seen at Iowa in quite some time. So I think if he's able to impart that knowledge to the quarterbacks on Iowa's roster, that's a positive, you know, how, how much that results in improved, you know, more first downs, more yards, more points, more wins. That's all TBD, but I am really interested to see what he can do as a quarterback coach. First and foremost, I was just yeah, going to say must... that. Do you mind if I hop in here, Adam? So yeah, yeah. I was going to say that too. This is a conversation I had recently is Brian Ferentz called the offense like an offensive lineman. It's like, oh, they're not going to expect this kind of stuff. Oh, an end around on fourth and three in Wisconsin when we have a freshman tight end lead blocking, they're not going to expect it. Do what works. Quarterbacks tend to know that sort of do what works you know, MO offensively. And I think having a former quarterback in that position, a former successful quarterback in that position, pairing with the mind of a Cade McNamara, 
you know, hopefully he's he's good to go this season. Um, and and a guy that can change the tune in terms of development because I mean, you can only say it so many times, but Spencer Petrus, there's a reason there's that video of him, the next John Elway out there on YouTube. And I mean, what he did in high school, I think it's it's clear, at least in that regard, maybe you don't point to Joe Labus or Carson May and say the same thing in terms of evaluation of quarterback talent. But development was clearly an issue and has been an issue. Can Lester change the tune there? That's and I, and I think having him as a former quarterback is is very important. And quarterbacks coach is very important. Go ahead, Adam. The 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 one thing that I'll point out to both of your points that I think should be very encouraging to Iowa fans. Uh, we'll we'll go back to the RPO. The RPO is predicated on a quarterback making this read, then this read, then this read, and at some point making the decision and going. One of the most glaring faults with Iowa's offense and with its quarterback development is you just did not see these guys develop a progression of reads that they could work through quickly to find their open guy. There was always one primary receiver and more often than not, the quarterback was locking onto him the entire time. And very predictable, just extremely predictable and defensive coordinators love that. They love preparing for Iowa's offense. So just getting Iowa back to the point where there is an experienced quarterback, an experienced QB coach, coaching these guys on, here's where you're going to look for how long. Here's where you're going to look after that. Oh, knowing what they're recognizing and being able to adjust what's in front of them off of that in and of itself, even if Iowa never runs an RPO or whatever the Kirk Ferentz equivalent would end up being, because you know, he would have his hands in it. And oh, Iowa... no, never. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the program value is RPOs don't belong in football. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's I mean, that's that's so clearly a joke because he did just or he is reportedly just hiring Tim Lester, who knows all about this stuff. So obviously that is a, a, a joke for comedic effect. But but by and large, at the very least, even if RPO does not make its way to the field on uh, or to Duke Slater Field, it has a name now, even if it doesn't make its way there. The coach knows how to coach quarterbacks on what to look for. That in and of itself, and I'd love to be proven wrong on this by Brian Ferentz, but that in and of itself looks like a substantial step up for this offense. The quarterbacks will know what they're doing. And Elliot, we have talked to people who know more about offense than we do, who watched it happen, unfold in real time, and, and came to the obvious conclusion that the quarterbacks didn't know what they were doing. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, one 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 point I did want to make. Uh, there seems to be some sort of contingent on on Twitter. I haven't seen much about it, but um, asking as to whether or not, and this was asked on on the premium board as well. I want to make sure we uh, we uh, recognize the person who asked. I think it was again St. Louis Hawk. Um, does this hire have any, have other strengths such as recruiting or otherwise? That the average fan doesn't know about again that's one of those things i'm not aware of exactly at this point in time but what i can point to um in that regard of like what are positives is that at western michigan 
it was uh, Lester and his staff sent several guys to the NFL. I'll list their names out here. Chukwuma Akorafor. Some of these guys just in the last like year or two, uh, Lester was there. But there are a few other guys. Chukwuma, see here, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is a tackle for the Steelers. And then there's Dwayne Eskridge, who's a wide receiver mm-hmm. for the uh, Seahawks. Sky Moore, who's about to head to the Super Bowl um, as a wide receiver with the Chiefs. I think he's the most notable name on that list. Then you go Giovanni Ritchie, who's a fullback. Oh, that's why he got the job. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fullback there we go. With- <laughs> Podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with the Panthers, Jalen Moore, who's a tackle with the 49ers, who may well be going to the Super Bowl as well. And then Wesley French, a center for the Colts, and Mike Caliendo, a guard for the Chiefs, who will also be headed to the Super Bowl by uh, the looks of Twitter. I haven't seen the score or anything currently. As yeah, well. they just bring this up. They, they just won. They just won. God, I'm not looking forward to that Super Bowl. Anyway, um, so that's it, the development piece is probably something that KF liked too. sending that amount of guys to West from Western Michigan to the NFL, uh, namely Sky Moore. With a name like that, I, I haven't pulled up his stats from Western Michigan. I'll do that shortly, but you look at that and you think that's the prototype of maybe a prototype of what you want Caleb Brown to be. Right. So there's a positive. Yeah. I think in terms of recruiting, you know, you you raised that point, Elliot, I I can't imagine that Lester's going to open new recruiting territories for Iowa based on his, you know, experience and, and where he's been coaching. I do think he'll help, you know, further solidify, you know, areas where I was already, you know, we look to get Iowa looks to get a lot of guys out of Illinois and Indiana uh, and Michigan, uh, Michigan to a little bit lesser degree, obviously. But uh, Illinois is a, a big time recruiting area for Iowa. So if he's able to assist there, um, that's a that's a plus. You know, any if you can strengthen Iowa's Iowa's recruiting ties there, that, that could be a positive for sure. That's a point I was definitely going to mention. Um, and additionally, when I'm looking here at Sky Moore's stats, his first year at Western Michigan, he had he caught 13 passes for 51 yards and eight, or excuse me, 13 passes for 50. Oh my gosh, he played 13 games, caught 51 passes for 802 yards and three touchdowns. 802 yards is more than the entire wide receiving core had at Iowa this year and the same amount of uh, receiving touchdowns. Sorry to inflict pain there, guys. And then 95 receptions for 1,292 yards and 10 touchdowns in 2021. 95 receptions is more than the entire wide receiving core did, had this last season. 1,200 is 500. Oh, oh, it's almost 1,300 yards. 500 more yards than the wide receiving core at Iowa this season. And uh, 10 receiving touchdowns was just seven more than the Iowa receiving core had uh, this season. So Sky Moore did that all himself in 2021. Uh, that is positive. Almost eight catches per game, uh, average of 13.6 yards per catch and 107.7 yards a game, which is just, if the wide receiving core as a group puts up those numbers next year, that's a massive success. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, just the ability to get the ball to a wide receiver, to somebody on the perimeter, eight times a game, not, not, not just targets, but in his hands, eight times a game, is like it, it, it's 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 like explaining space travel to cavemen for for Iowa fans who have watched this offense recently like that in and of itself. Well, space travel might be 
it's like explaining cars. Most people, like, we all know what cars are. Cavemen wouldn't. I feel like a caveman learning what a car is when I hear eight catches a game for a wide receiver at this point. So if uh, Lester gets it to the point where Iowa can start doing things like having wide receivers be focal points of the offense, and, you know, the heyday of that was obviously um, DJK and Marvin McNutt like that, duo on the outsides dominated Iowa's offensive attack. And that's what it should have done because they were two, like I, I would say they were the two most talented skill position players on that team. That's you want your best players to get the ball. And you don't really see that urgency out of Iowa that, that, well, you know, we'll, we'll find ways to get them the ball. They like to talk about it. It never really ends up happening that way other than, well, we, we ran a jet sweep for Caleb Brown once or twice. That's, you know, that's called lip service or whatever the play calling equivalent of that would be. Uh, clipboard service, maybe? <laughs> Headset service? I don't know what you would call it, but it, it does need to be a more concerted effort and, and not just something that, like the downfield passing game, you try once and if it doesn't work, it's out for the rest of the game. Like that too giving defenses a reason to not have nine guys in the box seemed to evaporate from Iowa's offensive schemes. By the end of the uh, Brian Ferentz era, or really for most of the Brian Ferentz era, they did not seem concerned with the fact that there would be eight or nine guys in the box at all times. It was still, well, just execute, just execute. The best way to execute a running game is against a seven or six man front. That's that above all else will help Iowa's run game get unstuck. And then you run to open up the pass or, or which is, I mean, we all understand that that is backwards thinking at this point, but not everybody agrees with that. But even if that's what you want to do, that's how you do it. You have to give the defense a reason to back off the line of scrimmage first, and then it's run all day, baby. But they have to have that reason. Iowa has not given them that reason in years. Tim Lester, at the very least, seems aware of that need. And that feels like a step up. We'll see if that persists. The thing you mentioned there that is most important, Adam, is, uh, and it, it pertains to Sky Moore and those numbers he put up, getting the ball in your playmaker's hands and letting them make plays. Get the ball in Caleb Brown's hands and let him make plays. Get the ball in Luke Lachey's hands. Get the ball Caleb Johnson's hands. To that, uh, to that end, um, there's another. There's a video kind of doing on the rounds on Twitter about uh, Lester talking about tight end RPOs that they used at Western. So you know, I, I don't. We're certainly not going to see tight ends de-emphasized to any substantial or notable degree in the Iowa offense. Um, they're going to find lots of ways to use Lachey. Uh, and Ostrenga and Hoffman and, you know, all these other tight end options that Iowa has, uh, they're definitely still going to be a, a really key part of the offense. And uh, there's already evidence, obviously, that Lester knows how to use tight ends and is willing to use them in, you know, some inventive ways. So I think that will be another positive for the Iowa offense. That may have been a differentiation between him and Kevin Johns as well. Um, 
because I, 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 I don't know. I, I didn't really look into so much about the tight end usage. What I really did look into was how they used Riley Leonard, how they went to the receivers, how they use their running backs. I probably should have looked more into the tight end situation. But now we do know that Lester did emphasize the use of a tight end. And that is very important in Iowa City, to say the least. Now, with that said, I do want to look at the difference between Johns and, and Lester. Because to me, to me, and to a good portion of the fan base, Johns was the choice. Or should have been the choice. Now, we don't know at this point in time as to whether or not Johns maybe have very well turned it down, maybe have very well, maybe very well be in the running for another position, which, by the way, Lester was the OC, it was set to be that OC at Troy. And Iowa went out and said, I want that guy. So he's not going to Troy. <laughs> Troy Troy's a good program. I mean, yeah. they're, they're a double digit win program. Wins per game, Elliot. Okay. Okay. Now, in regards to the the difference between he and Johns, Johns has regularly done it at the P5 level. Bounced around a little bit, but they had really good offenses at Indiana. He went to Texas Tech, or I think he went to, it was Indiana, Western Michigan, Texas Tech, uh, and then Duke? I'd have to look. Uh, Duke was the last stop, but right. I, I there might have been a stop between Tech and Duke, I can't recall. Okay. For sure. He was prolific in his his moves right <laughs> that was one of, potentially a red flag as well for him like he, he didn't oh, stay very anywhere very long <laughs> yeah there, there's memphis in there too yes memphis okay. yep yep um so really did really well at memphis especially with mike norvell as a head coach who's now with florida state of course as well as let's see here um texas tech he was under cliff kingsbury so he was not calling plays and we know that the air raid wasn't going to come to Iowa City. That's that's not why Johns was was counted out. That's that's a given. But he did run the power spread at places like Duke, and in a, like putting that into Iowa's playbook would have been again revolutionary to what they've been doing. That would have been big. He did what he was able to do this last season, and some of those stats fell off because Riley Leonard got hurt, but he went into a school like Duke who has its limitations academically specifically one, two, Mike Elko is a defensive minded head coach. And Johns was able to go in and be successful on offense with that. He was able to do a lot with a little one and two, he was able to put those guys in positions to succeed, which is something Brian Ferentz fundamentally could not do at Iowa. Those are, those are, some of the main things that stick out to me about Johns. I listened to some interviews. He seems like a KF guy. Um, in, in the conversations that he's had, he raved about Mike Elko. He uh, continually talked about, you know, GPA being really important and looking at guys who are smart. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different at Duke. But when you talk about all the things that Johns brought to the table, regular success, turning offenses around, being under really big time head coaches like Kingsbury, like Elko, who's headed to Texas A&M and doing it at the power five level against defenses like Clemson playing against Notre Dame playing against Florida state. John's had the resume that you look at and say, Oh, duh, that that's the move right there. Done. Sign him to a contract. You pick Tim Lester who did it at the G five level. Meh. Well against Mac defenses 
and has had little to no success at the P5 level. To me, to me, this was an obvious choice, and it feels, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say verbatim what I said on Slack, but it felt like one of those KF, I'm smarter than you moves. Again, I don't, I don't want to delve into that too much. I don't, I don't know KF in, like personally, but this feels like a move of, I know more than the fan base. The fan base is emotional. I took this long because I'm smarter than you. Like, I, 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 that's what it feels like to me. And they chose the non-obvious choice. Maybe thought about it too much. I don't know. John's was the choice to me. It, 91 days seems to be a I thought about it too much situation. Yeah, I, it, it does sort of beg the question, who cooled on that one first between Ference and Johns? Because it it really did seem that Johns was the favorite at some point. Uh, we also haven't heard of an offer coming from Ference to Johns. So we don't know if that had, again, something to do with a lack of interest on one person's side or the other. Maybe Johns didn't have a whole lot to agree with Ference on or not. But we're talking about a guy, Elliot, you mentioned that he, you know, coached for Mike Elko and he he coached for Tim Lester. He coached for, I mean, yes, Cliff Kingsbury, but he also coached for Kevin Wilson, coached for Pat Fitzgerald, coached for Randy Walker prior to that. So he knows how to coach for not only just Big Ten guys, but like, quote, Big Ten guys, <laughs> you know, who, who really inhabit that um as much as Kirk Ferentz does. So, uh, Elliot, I agree. It, it seemed so logical that Johns would be the, the choice. And is this Ferentz outthinking himself? We'll see. Because we're going to have to find out a little bit more about what distinction he was making here. What, you know, what made Lester a more attractive candidate than Johns? If it wasn't John saying thanks, but no thanks, because that that might have happened, too. We, we'd like to learn a little bit more about that, too. Ultimately, it really seemed like John's was the sort of guy who understood how to run an offense, not only in the 21st century, but in this version of college football, in this have 11, or I, I guess you can't call your offensive lineman weapons, but have six weapons on the field at all times football. And Iowa doesn't always have six weapons on the field at all times. I mean, usually it's one to four. So to me, like you, like everybody else, it seemed obvious to the point that something had to have changed or something had to have been deliberately fed to reporters that was a little bit disingenuous. And that happens sometimes too, we know. So there's a lot of unanswered questions here. And ultimately, is the distinction that put Lester over Johns a distinction that makes Iowa more likely to win games? Is it a wins per game distinction or is it a Kirk Ferentz familiarity distinction? Or is it a program values distinction, which a whole lot of people seem to interpret as do things Kirk's way? You know, 
what was that that happened? We'd like to learn a little bit more about that. Ross? Yeah, I I wish I had something uh, new to add to what you guys said, but it, it really is, uh, you know, it, John seemed to tick a lot of boxes that made a lot of sense. You know, he's has, he had the production uh, at the Power 5 level at multiple schools under multiple coaches and multiple circumstances. Uh, you know, he had experience, positive experience, successful experience under a defensive-minded head coach. He had experience working for coaches that, we know Kirk Ferentz has great admiration for in Pat Fitzgerald and Randy Walker. Like I would be shocked if, you know, Fitzgerald wouldn't have given him a pretty strong, you know, recommendation. Um, and obviously you know, we know Ferentz has a lot of respect for Fitzgerald. Um, and yet, you know, based on what the reports that we're hearing today, obviously it's not John's either. He said, you know, no, or, you know, Ferentz went a different direction and, uh, offered Lester instead, and and that's where we're headed. So without knowing more about that process, it is really hard to know kind of what to make of of this whole thing, especially Lester versus Johns. You know, was it was it a situation where like, okay, it was Johns, he said no, and then we they turned to Lester, who was just the next guy on the list. Was it a case where there was something in the interviews that you know? Ferentz really sparked with Lester and maybe didn't with Johns for some reason, you know, we don't really know, but you know, it, it is a very strange thing because on its surface, Johns makes a lot more sense as a hire that, you know, it, obviously Ferentz cares more about what's right for the program than what's going to win with the fan base or with the media or whatever. And the Johns hire unquestionably would have been a bigger win with the fans and the media uh, than the Lester hire. Um, but that's the direction he's going. So either he feels strongly that this is the right move for the program for whatever reason that is, um, you know, perhaps he'll elaborate on that when we do get some, uh, some media availability with him, hopefully this week, if, if this hire is, uh, you know, really in the, in the book, on the books, I would, I'm sure he'll be speaking about it. Um, but yeah, it's a very, it's a really curious situation. I think. And I don't know how else to put it because uh, Friday it really seemed like Johns was going to be the guy and everyone was pretty okay with that. And then by Sunday, it's like, nope, it's Lester. And that's where we're at now. So it's trying to figure things out. The, the thing that I would guess, like what would make me say it wasn't John saying no, is that we got from a very reliable source that Johns was in the facility on Friday. And so, like, why would he make the trip? Why would he be in Iowa City if this was a thing that wasn't a very viable option to him? Right? Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. a long, drawn-out thing for him to go home and think about it, like... To me, it was Lester was the choice just based on that that information that we have at hand. Um, again, we're, we're this is something we're going to learn about hopefully midweek, um, hopefully soon. Hopefully, we get a release um, that either confirms it or I'm kind of. Are, are you guys surprised that we haven't gotten a confirmation now that it's out there, or is this something that you think Iowa football will wait until Monday morning? I mean, I, at this point, this is kind of what. 
we expect? Yeah, I'm expecting a Monday morning announcement at this point, because as we look at this, it, it doesn't look like a news dump sort of hire, even though some fans sort of interpret it that way. It doesn't like even with all the holes in our understanding of the situation holes that Kirk Ferentz has quite deliberately uh, and intentionally placed. Even with all that, what we do know about Lester would lead me to believe that they would want to, at the very least, talk about it and, and to like grab some headlines. They're, they're going to try to spin this positively, and, and you don't do that by starting with a Sunday night news dump while NFL is going on. Of course, I say that, and I'm sure as soon as we hang up on this, the announcement's going to come, right? Like, <laughs> But I, I do think it makes more sense as a Monday announcement and, you know, we'll cover it from there. And, and hopefully we get an availability early next week, because again, there are so many question marks flying around this and, and not even, you know, big, scary question marks either, just a, a general sense of, huh? And they're mostly valid questions at this point. And, questions that should be answerable right we're, we're not asking for state secrets kind of wanting to know more yeah is there any other any anything else that we want to hit on before we get out of here oh also uh before i say that breaking news hayden large is coming back this coming season uh he is on the 2024 roster and onc bring in mitch fick Put that out there uh, this evening. Hayden Large is back to save the offense in 2024 at fullback for Iowa. See walk walk on. Yeah, he was a walk on. Okay. He was a guy that if Iowa wasn't so strapped for scholarships, since he's a starter, he'd probably get a scholarship. Um, but not yeah. at this point in time, um, which is a whole another conversation that we will have. Here sooner rather than later. Adam uh, is working on a piece regarding that, but of course the focus for now is the new offensive coordinator in Iowa City. We will have more content on that coming out throughout the week, um, and of course we'll have our men's and women's basketball and wrestling coverage going on as that continues forward. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel as well as at iowa.rivals.com. All you got to do is type in iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe to join us there. You can get all the inside information that we have. We do share just about everything we possibly can uh, as, as things progress. We were the first ones, at least that we know of, <clears throat> to uh, get on Kevin Johns. No, we did not release that information, but we did have that on the premium board, um, sharing that Kevin Johns was in the running. And also we provided updates throughout the hiring process for the offensive coordinator in Iowa City. But we will continue to give you coverage as much as we possibly can throughout the offseason and into football, as well as during basketball and wrestling season. Again, make sure you subscribe here on YouTube. Drop a like, drop a comment. Let us know. What do you think about the hire? Would you have rather had Kevin Johns like us? Or is there anybody else that you thought should have been in the running? By the sounds of it, Paul Christ was the initial choice, and he did say no, which... We don't need to talk about that anymore. We already did. But again, make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening as well. Please leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We know lots of you listen there. We'd really appreciate it if you did that. Get those numbers up for us. And that way more people listen 
And uh, I think that's it from us. Again, make sure you subscribe, drop a like, drop a comment here on YouTube. And we, myself, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, Adam Jacoby, Ross Binder, we will see you next time.